0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan
1: makes it clear. At a certain part of this story. But Andrew was so much like us that the Lord had it recorded so we could see ourselves in this story. Go back to the passage and you're going to see right where it is. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Period. Stop. Look up here. That's when it would have been great. Lord, that's okay. 5,000 people, 10,000, 15, doesn't really matter. We've got a little boy here and he's got a little lunch bag. In this bag, he's got five loaves and two fishes. And you know what? The Lord would say, Andrew, you got the message. But Andrew did just what I would do. <laughs> yeah, but that's just not enough. I don't know why I struggle with my cup being half empty. Some of you think that the man, pastor's a visionary guy, he's got so much faith, he's always looking ahead. I want you to know my wife is the one that has the gift of faith. I have the gift of worry. And maybe that's why we both go together. Now I know the antidote, I preach it all the time. If you want to have more faith, get in the Word, faith comes by hearing. So that might be indicative of my time with God and Carol's time with God, I don't know. But I do know this, the answer is in intimate time with the Lord in His Word. And that's what they did at this particular time. And I like that story about Andrew, because I kind of see myself in that as well. But here's the point. Whether we think the problem is so big we can't do it, or we look at our resources, we have too little, we can't do it, the solution is still found in, here it is, WHOM, with a capital W. It's going to be in the Lord. So let's look at our two life-challenging questions. Here's the first one. What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? And now I'm going to pose that to you. You have a life-challenging question. Does it deal with your kids? Does it deal with your career? Does it deal with some choices that you make with your finances? Does it deal with you've got a, a, an issue with your health and you want to go to a second opinion and you got too many opinions and they're all different? And you're thinking, I can't do this. It's too big. Too big for God to accomplish. What you've got to do is to own up to that and say, yes, that's part of my problem. I see my problem so big that sometimes I think God can't accomplish it. Here's the second one. Where have I decided I have too little to make a difference? You know what? I want to make a difference. I don't know God can do it, but at the same time, I have too little and I can't do it because I don't have enough. I don't know where that might be, but I think we often look at that the same way. I call it, there's not enough syndrome. Would you write that in your margin? It's there's this, there's not enough syndrome. And some of you are saying, what do you mean? For example, there's not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough energy. There's not enough experience. How many of you can relate to any one of those four I just gave you? Just raise your hand. There's not enough time, not enough money, not enough energy, not enough experience. I know that's there. Some of us, we go this way. We say, when I get more, fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. When I get more, fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. When I have more time... I'll get involved in ministry. When I have more energy, I'll spend more time with my kids. When I have more money, I'll give more to the Lord's work. When I have more experience, then I'll head up a ministry. And so we always stay down here in this sea of mediocrity. We always stay down here hungry at the end of the day. Because we wouldn't look to Jesus to feed us in the area of time and energy, money, and experience. And I hope that's not the case. Well, look what Jesus did with the five loaves and two fishes. Follow me in verse 10 and 11. You know the story already. Remember, there's a leadership principle. These guys are watching him. So he says to them, tell everyone to sit down. Jesus ordered, underline that. You know, we all like that because that's in the Bible. But we forget Jesus orders us too. All right, let's go on. So all of them, the men alone numbered 5,000, sat down on the grassy slopes. Then Jesus took those loaves and he gave thanks to God and passed them out to the people. And afterward he did the same with the fish and they all ate until they were full. You know, I look at this and I bring a smile to my face because I'm going back to the disciples and the disciples are now passing out all the food. Everybody's sitting down in order. And now the Lord, here he is standing up there. And by the way, this is kind of an amazing story. Carol and I have been to the uh, Holy Land three times. And the last time we uh, we invited Charles Ryrie to go with us as our Bible teacher. And so it was one of those special times that he and I were walking back to the bus on the same place where this story was taking place. All right, And I had a wonderful talk with, with Dr. Ryrie about books that are still in him and all this kind of stuff. And all he kept saying is, little as much when God is in it, Stan. Little as much when God is in it. So it kind of, whenever I read this, I remember those wonderful words of Dr. Charles Ryrie, just a great man of God. But I also smile because I could think of these disciples over here, seeing the Lord. Okay, look, he's got all these people. And now the Lord is saying to the people, Oh God, thank you for what you've given to us, Father. And may they all now be full. And they're th- thinking, think how can you be full when you've got 5,000 people out there with only five loaves and two fish? Now, if you will, to help some of you, because you're local folks, if I went back to the 5,000, 5,000, another 5,000 with kids, that's 15,000. Let's just do that, all right? Because not everybody got married, not everybody had all these kids, so say 15,000 is a reasonable amount. So I decided for a picture for you to just see what the struggle was, was this. What venue do we have here in Honolulu that would hold about 15,000 people? Now some of you would say Aloha Stadium. Well that's true, but they would look kind of dwarfed in there and you wouldn't get the visual picture. So I went and I Googled Stan Sheriff Center. You know where that is where they play basketball? Okay, so I figured out how many people they could fit in there in the stands, not on the courts, but in the stands. So I figured all the guys are in the stands, and you have Jesus in the center of the basketball court. He's got a table, maybe the side of the communion table. I don't even know he had that big. But he bought that big. Five loaves, two fishes. Stand Sheriff Center holds 10,300 people. Now I want you to look at them. The disciples are finished. They're kind of leaning off to the side. They're looking at the table, and they're looking at 15,000 people. And Jesus just said, Thank you, God. They'll be full. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment. I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but if you have confidence in a sovereign God who loves you, you can say little as much when God is in it. And I'm not only going to thank you, God, for being sovereign and, and love us, because those are theologians out there, you know, doctrinally that's how we do it. You know, we thank God He's sovereign. But then you have to believe in your heart, and I will be full. So you have a God that is not dead theology or dead orthodoxy, a God who does all this because of who He is, but He does all this because of who he is, he makes them full. How beautiful this story is here, how much it encourages me. They all ate and they all were full. So let me ask you this question. I don't know how full they were, but when was the last time you had a, a, a full meal? Now I, I, had a, I had a blast, I've been working on my weight, you know, all this kind of stuff, trying to eat right. Not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't eat just bushes and roots and sawdust, you know, I, I do have some fun stuff, usually ice cream late in the evening, which is wrong. But this last Friday we went to go see the movie Soul Surfer. So Carol and a couple people from the church, and they know who they are. I don't want to embarrass them because I don't have permission to mention their names. Carol has a wonderful idea. I just love her. Mm, I love you. We're going to go to Costco and get a pizza, you know. And you don't bring a pizza to me. It's like I'm a, I'm a pizza-holic, all right. And so she said, we'll get one pizza for the five of us. And I'm saying one pizza is enough just for me. You know, I mean five of us. You know, what is this? Five, you know, Five, you know. Okay. And so they were so kind. They all knew that I was, you know, just looking at the pizza the whole time they were talking. I did eat more than I should have. We did split the last one so I would look spiritual, but I did, <laughs> did eat it all. Now, during the entire movie, I'm saying, boy, I'm sure glad I don't want any popcorn right now. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm just so full. I'm saying that to say, I don't know that there was this uh bismol moment of those 15,000 people, but I am convinced with all my heart that they just didn't have a little crumb. That when the Lord took care of them, they were full. Say that with me. They were full. Little as much in the hands of God. You can trust that. Now, let's look at some things here. He does this all the time. I've given you two verses of two people in the Bible. Do you remember who they were? The first one was Gideon. Now, I want you to think about Gideon. Here's Gideon, 15,000, all he any. Jesus says, not too much, bring you down to three, fight your enemies now. Look at the verse I've given to you there. It says, I'll conquer the Midianites with these 300, the Lord told Gideon. Send all the others home. Little is much when God is in it. You got David. What did David do? He defeated the giant champion of the Philistine army. So what did God do? God took a young boy, one boy, one boy. You listen, boys? One boy, one sling, five stones, and crashing down. was not only a giant. The sound that was loudest wasn't the thud of a dead giant. The sound that was the loudest was the cheers of the Jews who watched a young man have confidence in a great God. Little is much when God is in it. So what does he do? Step number one, God reduces our resources. Now I I believe he does that on purpose and you'll see why when I get to my fourth step. But the first step is he reduces your resources. So in what way is God taking things away from you right now? Those of you that are, are have staff people, he's taking some staff away from you. Some of you that are business people, and he's taking customers away from you. Some of you that are at a time in your life where your health is starting to deteriorate, so your health is reducing from you. Maybe your kids are bigger and eating more, so your finances are is reducing that. I don't know. But something's happening in your life that He's reducing this thing. He's reducing your resources. And some of you, I hope it will not be tomorrow where He reduces you from your job. But at the same time, should He? Step two. God then maximizes your need. It seems like it gets worse here, doesn't it? So He takes away your resources and then He makes your need bigger. Now again, you've got to stay with because this is what He's doing. He's building something here. Number three. I love this part. What He does now is he has someone who trusts God with what little they have. Now put a star by that one. Someone who trusts God with a little that they have. And the reason I want you to put a star there, because you have to go back to that star and say, is it me, Lord? You've reduced this, my resources, everything I thought that could help me get to my, my, my goal, and now you've made my goal so much bigger now, my problem bigger, but now he's looking for someone. You that are listening to me. He's looking at you, driving or sitting at home, And he wants to know, is there anybody out there that's going to trust me? And now number four, God uses the little that will now show how great he is. And put a star by that one. What he did was now reduce everything, make the problem bigger, look for someone little like you that will put their trust in the Lord so that when he does it, he gets all the glory. Do I hear an amen on that? And that's the whole purpose again, is building a relationship with him that really helps. Now again... Leaders, He will always do something in your life to define, are you a person that has the right to influence other people because you now have a relationship with God? Let me tell you a story. I believe with my heart, as I go through Scripture, I'm finding that when a, when a, a person is put into a place of influence, they go through a time of testing to really prove to themselves, a growth experience, but also to flag to other people that God has his hand on their life because they've chosen to put their self in God's hand. I have a dear friend now. He was, on the founder, he was one of the founders of Promise Keepers on the founding board. He has a ministry now to leaders. His whole ministry is, called, is on leadership. Future Lead is what it's called. Look at it, futurelead.org. Fred, great man of God. He then took one of the largest churches in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Calvary Church. It was not Calvary Chapel. I can tell you this publicly because it went public. He took the church in about October-ish. November, this church is so big, when you drive away, it's a big pink building, so big you can look at it and it looks like the the crown on, on a king's head and they built it that way. So when you look from a distance, it looks like a crown. You go inside the sanctuary, it is so large they have escalators to get everybody inside the sanctuary and that's just a little bit. When they would do their Christmas programs, they were the ones, they didn't do the, the singing Christmas tree, they had all the animals come down the aisle. and they did, you know, you, How many of you have ever heard of big churches on the mainland that do that stuff? Okay, Christmas, they have all the Christmas scene up here, they did all of that. Two weeks before Christmas, and by the way, they've done this every year, so they're like the talk of the whole city of Charlotte. The worship leader is found in a public bathroom at night, as a man with a man. That's all I'm going to say. That hit the newspapers. That genre of people was standing outside the church just to see how the church would handle people that believe that lifestyle is acceptable. When we as Christians love those people dearly, but don't believe that's an acceptable lifestyle. The pastor called me. What do we do? I said, well, that's, "That's that's horrible. It's horrible." But I said, well, "What we're we going to do? We're going to pray." And I want you to know, Glenn. This is a defining moment in your leadership. The Lord allowed this to, that could have come out any time. God didn't make that person sin. God exposed the sin at a specific time that defined his ministry at that church. Now that's a human illustration. Let's go back to the Bible. If you go back to scripture, you're going to find Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua first. Well, Joseph first, but let me just go to Joshua. Joshua comes out, <clears throat> goes into AI, loses the battle there lays on the ground, and the Lord and the King James says, up get you off your face, you know, get up, don't get out of your face, and now do it right. And he went and he did it right, and God honored Joshua. So I'm saying all that to say this, whatever you're going through right now, people are watching you. People are watching how that your resources are dwindling, and God's permitting it to go. People are watching you as the problem begins to escalate, maybe through timing. People are watching you to see what's going to happen now, They don't know that you're wrestling with, are you the one who will trust God? And people will certainly watch the result if you're willing to count upon God so that God gets the glory and not you and me. I believe you could be that way. That's what God wants to do. All right, let's look at one more here. This is lesson number three. This is the lesson of the balance sheet. I had a hard time finding a balance sheet, beloved, because we do everything on QuickBooks and Microsoft Word or money or whatever it's called. So I went into the archives of international... And I found one of our balance sheets. I don't want you to touch it. It stinks so bad from mold because we, 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 we have a room here. We call it the belly of the beast because it's, it's, it's way in the back and I have a dehumidifier in there. But then we have the belly button of the belly of the beast which is another room even deeper into that room. And that's where we hide, Jimmy Hoffa and everybody. No, I'm joking on that. But that's what we got in here. So I picked out this balance statement. So when I put out this sheet right here, I just want you to think about that for a moment. That's 1977. I know you can't wait to look at this, these folks up here in the front. I know you just can't wait. Just make sure I get it back, all right? Let's go on here. The lesson of the balance sheet. Every encounter with a predicament or challenge can multiply results. Can multiply results. I really like this because I want you to see what verse 12 and 13 says. Remember, the Lord says, thank you that they'll be full. All right, let's go on. It says, now gather the leftovers. Huh? Leftover, huh? Where it stands, sheriff. Every seat is filled. We fed everybody with five loaves and two fishes, and you're now telling us to gather leftovers. What are you talking about? The people who were left over that didn't eat? No. He says so that nothing is wasted. Would you underline that? That's a sermon, mothers. Okay, there's a sermon there, moms. Okay, use that somewhere. Okay, let's go on. So nothing is wasted. There are only five barley loaves to start with, but 12 baskets were filled with the pieces of bread the people did not eat. Now underline that, mark that. Because now what's happened is he's, he doesn't did, he just say, okay, you got a problem, I reduce your resources, the problem is even bigger, and now I'm going to meet that. No, he says, not only am I going to meet that need, I'm going to give you beyond all of that. That's the joy of an intimate relationship with the leader of leaders. And so those of you that are called out there, you have the hope of not only walking with Jesus during that situation and watching God take everything away or most everything away, making your problem get bigger and escalate and like tentacles keep growing only to find one person, one man, one woman, one guy, one gal who's going to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you on all of this. Uh, It's an abandoned faith, Lord. It's not a logical one sometimes, but I'm trusting you. God steps in. He doesn't just meet the need. He screams past it. It gives you so much more. Now, if you're going to say, does that mean I'm going to get more money? I can't say that. Does that mean I'm going to get a raise? can't promise that. Or am I going to get a promotion, a better name, a better office? can't promise that. I can't promise you this. You'll get more than what you gave. When? Well, frankly, if you're a mature Christian, you're going to say, I don't want it now. I want it in heaven later on as a special reward. And that's where the Lord will often give it to you the most. Well, look, if you will, at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I have it there for you. The principle is found in Scripture. Give and you'll receive, and you'll be given much. Press down. It means after you give, you're given back much. Press down, shaken together. I like it. Running over, it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. How does he do this? The bottom line is, when Jesus is involved, he always gives that to us. Well, I don't need to preach more on that. I do want to give you a sad part of this real story. So would you all lean into this for just a second and we'll bring this to a close. After all that was done, you heard the story. They got all the baskets. Everybody was fed. Food was left over. I often wondered it was like the Lord saying to the disciples, See, guys, I not only fed them, but now you've got some for the rest of the week. You know, I just, just kind of think that, you know. But let me go back to this. As soon as that event ended, in Mark, historically, Jesus then says to these guys, get in the boat, get over to the other side, I'm going to go my way, I'll meet you over there. You know the story. They got out in the water, what happened to the boat in the water with the guys in it? All sorts of problems. Jesus now comes into the boat, and what does he do with this boat that's wobbling all over the place, they're almost drowning. He calms the sea, calms everything down. And here's what he says to them. Look now, Mark 6, verse 51. Jesus climbed into the boat with them. Oh, I love that. And the wind dropped, and they were scared out of their wits. But the most poignant part of this is this. They had not had the sense to learn the lesson of the loaves. Even the miracle had not opened their eyes to see who he was. Now, if you have a different version on your lap, it's even harsher than that. It says, they hardened their hearts. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out to you and me is that, frankly, for most of you, how many of you have ever heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 before? Would you raise your hand? How many of you read the story? Would you raise your hand? Okay. So now, we're no different than these guys are, except this. They only went through one time. We heard it multiple times. If their hearts were hardened after they'd seen the miracle up close with the miracle worker leader, and they still missed the lesson of the loaves, how, how bad is it for us who've read it over and over and over and over and over? And over. You heard sermon after sermon after sermon. After. And we even have Jesus in us, the hope of glory. To give us more depth through His Spirit. And we miss the lesson of the loaves. Today, folks, should be the last time you have to be taught this lesson. Now, we'll expand on it as we grow. But today is the time for us to say, Lord, the lesson in leadership of the loaves. I have a yardstick. Don't measure my problems by my weakness. I have a scale. In the hands of the Lord, little is much. I have a balance statement. And with the Lord, it'll never really balance out. As much as I keep pouring into the Lord, He's going to give me more back. So in leadership, you don't have to fear God. You just have to know Him. Now, I want to speak to those so that you would know you'd have eternal life. Your biggest problem isn't going to be your next meal, as serious as that might be for some of you. Your next problem isn't going to be how you're going to take your kid's education, and that's a serious, important matter of parenting. It's not going to be, do I get married? Am I marrying the right guy? Do I stay on island, get off island, change careers? That's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem that is so huge is what we call a sin problem. And that sin problem is so huge because you all have that problem. We have it. I have it. That problem is so big, and God says, we're here, but don't panic. There's nothing you can do to get from where you are to that thing. He says, but I will take care of it for you. And so what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross and he took all the sin of all mankind on himself, once and for all, died, problem resolved 2,000 years ago. Now he says, I put out the baskets of food for you, but it's still your choice. Those 5,000 people, I don't know maybe there was one or two and the basket came by with the fish in it. They said, no, nah, not me. I don't eat fish. I don't know. But I will tell you this. Whatever their reason is, if they didn't eat, they didn't eat. And if you don't believe in Christ as the one who resolved that sin problem, it's not just you. I didn't believe in Christ. The ultimate result of that is to spend eternity in a real place absent from Christ forever and ever that is horrible and the Bible calls it hell. That's the worst part about it. And yet it's so easy because there's nothing you have to do other than to say, I can't get there by my works. I can't get there by trusting Christ and my works. I have to say I am so hopelessly out of this equation that if it's not the Lord, I can't make it. But here's what I do know. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that took care of that problem. And he offers it to me so easy that all I have to do is to trust in him as the one who died for me. My sins are forgiven. I have an instant, intimate relationship with the Lord that's begun. And I have a home secured for me in heaven that I will never lose. That's the loaves on leadership. Now you to make it personal for you. Trust Christ as your Savior. And begin this wonderful journey of following this leader of leaders.